HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief. With me, your host, Sara Tangora, and my wonderful co-host, my mother, Bobby, uh, who, as always, will be joining us for the episode. Um, folks, how is everyone today? Good? Maybe okay? Hopefully better than average. Um, I am in pain. I threw out my back somehow. So I'm here laying on the couch, waiting until I have to try to crawl over to work. Um, I got yelled at for crossing the street slowly earlier by someone in their car. It's been interesting. Um, But anyway, we have a really great show for you today. We are joined by Beth Kaiserman. Uh, Beth is a writer and journalist, and she is here to talk to us about her dad, Earl, who in 2019 was diagnosed with dementia. Um, And as anyone who's ever had a loved one with dementia or Alzheimer's or known anyone uh, that has gone through that experience, it's so uniquely challenging. Um, I have some very dear friends who uh, have for a while now been dealing with a father with dementia. And I know that just from their stories and their their shared experiences, um, how difficult it is and how like strange it is and alienating and sad in a very specific way. Um, it's a very specific way of losing somebody. Um, and it's really, really tough. And it was really wonderful to have Beth on. It was so generous of her to, you know, do that emotional heavy lift of sharing with us what that experience has been like and some of the ways in which her and her family have coped. And she has some, Beth told us some like amazing things about just like her family food rituals, which made Bobby and I both really laugh and were so awesome. So yeah, this is a great episode and we are so grateful to Beth for sharing. And, uh, you know, if any of you have a story that you'd like to share in processing, we would love to hear it. We'd love to have you. If you want to write a listener letter, we can read it on air. If you'd like to join us for an episode, please reach out. Uh, the kind of the best way to get in touch with us is on Instagram. We are processing underscore podcast. Um, you can also email us at processing at heritageradionetwork.org. And we will get back to you. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have a moment, we know there's truly, truly, truly so many 
ways in which we need to be paying attention and things we need to donate our time and money and efforts to right now. Um, but should you have a spare moment, if you could leave us a quick rating review and, and subscribe to our podcast, it really helps grow the show. Um, and in times of grieving and confusion and wildness, it's, um, we hope to be a, a small, small, small beacon of light out there for anyone who finds our show. So let's all do what we can to help more people find it. Um, okay. Without any further ado, we give you Beth Kaiserman and as always, we love you and take care of yourselves and each other. Thank you so much. Bye. Today we are with our friend Beth Kaiserman. Beth is joining us from Brookline, Massachusetts. Hello, Beth. How are you? Hi. Fine, thank you. How are you? Good. Are you guys having a snowstorm in Brookline, Massachusetts today? We are, which is why I'm here, safely inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we down down in New York, we kind of just had like a bit of like an icy rainstorm. I was just walking down the street after getting a coffee and I passed like a holly bush and the whole bush was coated in little cute holly icicles. And I was like, you know what? This is cute. Sometimes winter <laughs> provides you with these like little tiny treats. And then I slipped and fell in a puddle. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. So Beth, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, tell us like you are a copy and content writer for food and wellness brands and uh, also a food journalist and you have experience in the restaurant world too. So a lot of kind of food and food adjacent stuff. What is the kind of daily work life for you? Um, well, now I'm a freelancer. So again, get to work safely inside from all the elements, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is very nice. And um, I work for a few different agencies and a few different food companies. Um, so one is a food and beverage agency. One is an SEO agency. And then one is a food startup. And one is a, nice. a food data company and a couple other things getting kicked off. So, um, yeah, lots of lots of food stuff. And the food journalism stuff ties in because uh, it ties into the restaurant world because I used to write about restaurants. And so when I was doing that, I lived in New York City at the time. Um, I decided I needed to understand restaurants better from the other side in order to write about them properly. So I started um, working in them in Brooklyn, mostly front of house um, and events as well sort of came into the came into the mix. Um, but yeah, so got to see lots of different food things. And then eventually I worked for a catering company as well in their marketing department. So saw that side of the food industry too. And yeah, just tried to really keep digging. Wow, so you I could have all always, the different angles. Yeah, I tried to always get a different angle so I could get a more well-rounded view of everything and how it all ties together and is different and all of that. So I love food. Cool. And you grew <laughs> up in you grew up in Pittsburgh. Yes, as do we. We share that in common. So you grew up in Pittsburgh, but was you know what was the kind of family vibe like? Like, is this something? Does your like interest in food kind of grow from? Like, you know, a family, like, where's your family cooking at home? Your mom or dad cook? What was that all about? Yeah, um, yes and no. I would say most of, like, my homemade cooking memories are from being Jewish and celebrating Jewish holidays, which are wonderful memories. Um, and then I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking my main theme that I can think of for my family and food is, like, loyalty. Like, my family Ooh. is so 
loyal to the like in what way i love this Um, yeah tell us more about that yeah like almost to an extreme point so the best example i can give is that everyone in my family like including all my cousins and anyone i've ever met really even extended cousins will only eat brown mustard on (laughs) sandwiches deli food (laughs) things like that um And it's like, I've seen in the past, like my older uncle, like saying something to his grandson who was putting ketchup on a hot dog. He was probably three years old at the time, you know, just doing whatever three-year-olds do when they see condiments to play with. And he's like, what are you doing? (laughs) We don't don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. And it's like a lot of it, you know, I think is very grounding in a way because um, it's really about like appreciating the simple things and, you know, sticking, not so much sticking to what, you know, and never trying anything else. Um, I'm obviously a little more adventurous than that, but, but knowing what you like and being very loyal and vocal about it, I think is kind of the main theme. My mom's family was Eastern European and my mom was from Yugoslavia and they were very, um, religious Jews, Orthodox, uh, Hasidic Jews. And when my aunt came to America, it was the only relative, she came to America and she saw my mom was painting. She said to her, we don't paint in our family. So there, I think there's this um, unity of keeping, in a way to keep the tribe together, in a way. Do you think that's part of it, that it's a cultural thing too, of um, when you say the loyalty to food? I think so. I think a lot of it ties back to family and nostalgia and, and yeah, especially mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. Um, my parents still live there, but pretty much everyone else in our family has moved away. So I think there's like this strong tie that still gets to like bind them together, even though most of them are out in California. Mm. Yeah, for sure. That's really interesting. Yeah. So Beth, like, let's hear more about, so you're saying that your family has these like strong kind of like food loyalties and traditions, which is such an awesome way of putting it. Actually, I've never really heard it phrased like that based on loyalty, but what was the like kind of everyday dynamic like growing up so you grew up in Pittsburgh mom and dad are together do you you guys cook at home like which one of your parents kind of like is is the is the cook or or either of them cooks or both um yeah I would say my mom is more of the cook day to day um and my dad again back to the loyalty thing (laughs) was more of the cook for very specific items, um, such as grilled cheese, which he was somehow always making a grilled cheese. Um, and I liked his because he made it like really burnt on the outside, not mm. like totally black, but like he let it go a little long. Yeah. Yum. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. My dad always likes things really well done. <laughs> that's, so, like, that's like our gra- uh, grandma. Bobby's mom, Vi, also really loved, she, right, mom? She yeah. loved, like, burnt toast, Everything. hot coffee. <laughs> She'd always say, coffee, hot. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's kind of funny because even when I'm home now, it's like my dad gets up super early and he makes a pot of coffee. But I wait for my mom's coffee because I like oh. my mom's coffee better and it's much stronger. So there's just these like certain things that each person kind of always yeah. stuck to. But yeah, I mean, we 
we had dinner together a decent amount. I think maybe even, maybe even more than a lot of families, honestly, because I don't remember, unless I've skewed this story for myself, I don't remember a lot of like sitting in front of the TV and eating. I think, you know, we're from a big sports town. So if anything during games, yeah, we might be up and down or like looking at the TV, but um yeah, I feel like we had dinners together a decent amount during the weeks and uh and we pretty much always had a Friday night Shabbat dinner. Like we mm-hmm. didn't really do the ritual every week of like lighting the candles and saying prayers or anything. Um at least not all together, but we would always kind of have like a standard Friday night like chicken and some type of potato and just like sort of solidify and ground in that a little bit, which was I think really nice looking back. Um that is so, really yeah, nice. It, yeah, it was again like kind of back to the like ritual and like making sure to always have something around that people like. Like we tended to all kind of like barbecue chicken and barbecue this and barbecue that. So lots of yeah. barbecue sauce and uh <laughs> yeah, I think um you know, some of my earlier food memories are just kind of like for lack of a better word, a little bit basic, because I only started to really think about food in high school a little bit more and like really look at what I was eating and like understand it more. Yeah. Interesting. And so now you live in Brooklyn, Massachusetts, and your family is still in Pittsburgh. And what is the relationship like nowadays? And how do you guys come together? And you know, how is what what is you know kind of your relationship with eating together and being together like now yeah so we really haven't been together too much in the past couple of years um unfortunately the last time i was home i went for thanksgiving 2021 which i'm really really glad i got to do and it was awesome uh you know it was hard in some ways and awesome in some ways in terms of the food have to say it was pretty awesome. <laughs> um, Good. You know, I think just also like having been by myself for a lot of the last couple of years, cooking for myself for a lot of it, like no matter what my mom might have made, it, I might have said it was awesome because <laughs> my mom was of making course. it. But, you know, we did Thanksgiving together and everything was really, really good. And then it was really, you know, lucky because Hanukkah happened to be like right after Thanksgiving. So I was home for that. Right. And that meant I got to have my mom's potato latkes and yum. hands down still the best latkes I've ever had. I think she thinks I'm buttering her up when I say that, but it's totally true because <laughs> the way she fries them, she again, she leaves them on a little bit longer than I think most people might. And that makes the edges super creepy yep. and really, really good. And when you order them in a restaurant, a deli, yeah. whatever, like you're getting them soon after they're made, but not like right from when they were fried. You know what I mean? That second. So being able to mm-hmm. stand there yeah. and finish it and then eat it and like serve it is just, yeah, the homemade all the way. Totally. It's complicated to go back home after you haven't been there for a while. Had there been many changes since you had been back? Yeah. So, um, Gosh, I'm trying to even remember the time before I was there was like December 2019 um, for, I think it was for the winter holidays. I mean, we're Jewish, so it wasn't really (laughs) to specifically celebrate Christmas, but um, my sister was living at home at the time. And then 
now she lives in an apartment that's like a 15, 20 minute drive from where my parents live. So that's different. Um, so I spent some time there separately uh, from home, home. Um, and yeah, it's just always interesting observing people's food rituals. Uh, <laughs> you know, I always am so surprised when I go home to my home, home to my parents' house. And it's like, there's just so much stuff in the fridge. And I'm always so curious. I'm like, what is all of this stuff? A lot of it is condiments. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know, not shocking, but I mean, I'm just not like, because I live by myself, I guess, like I'm not used to like seeing refrigerators that full of food. And what was kind of interesting during, mm. um, well, I guess interesting is a way to put it, but during COVID, especially in the beginning when people like who hadn't used grocery delivery started ordering groceries, including myself. I really never, I didn't even want to succumb to it during COVID, but I did some of the time. Um, you know, like my dad would complain a lot about like, oh, he doesn't have his correct milk or like the right bananas. And I think some of it might've been that like things were out of stock and getting replaced with either a different size or maybe like, you know, the bananas probably weren't the level of ripeness he wishes they were. Again, it's back to these really simple yeah. things that really matter. And when they feel out of whack um, for anyone and for anyone in an uncertain time like COVID, but I think especially for my dad who has dementia, um, mm -hmm. I think that really kind of rocked his world. Cause I remembered that he was really the person who would like even though my mom would go buy groceries for whatever, you know, she had planned to make or whatever we needed for the week, my dad would still separately go to the grocery store for milk, bananas, and bread. I feel like there was something mm. there where it's like he wanted to make sure he had his solid choices and that like she might mm. get bananas that weren't ripe enough or she might be like, oh, this other bread looks fine. And like he just was so like right. and the predictability. So so tell us more. So when did your dad, when did you first realize that your dad had dementia and how did that all come about? Yeah. So, um, that I found out right after moving up to Massachusetts, actually. So I moved up here from New York city in August, 2019, and he received the diagnosis in September of 2019. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, you know, I think maybe we kind of had an inkling something might be up, but we didn't really think, I don't think anyone in my family thought it was that, especially because at the time he was, let's see, he just turned 70 a couple of weeks ago. So he was 68, I guess. Um, wow. Yeah, you know, That's I mean, he's young. the youngest of his four siblings. He's the baby. And I think, you know, everyone had their own type of reaction to it for different reasons. I think for like his siblings, I'm assuming it's, you know, and I talked to them a decent amount about it. It's like, what do you mean? Like, he's the little brother. What do you mean he has this going on? Like how? And I think for mm -hmm. us seeing his day to day, you know, his rituals and he's always been pretty healthy in general. It's like grappling with how does he have something so serious and unpredictable and just like him for real, you know, um, he's a CPA and he worked in a firm for like 30 some years and he's just always been 
whip smart with a sense of humor and numbers, of course. And yeah, it's always so course. friendly to people. And like to think that someone like, you know, just out of nowhere can have a diagnosis like that. It's it was really overwhelming for us. It's it's shocking. And Beth, I'm curious to know kind of you know, we hear of all these different things that happen to people in life, like car accidents or heart attacks or winning the lottery, you know, like good and bad that you like seem so unimaginable, including I, for me, definitely one of them is what would be learning someone I loved had dementia because we know what goes along with it. It's a difficult, it's a very difficult thing to deal with when that happens to someone that you love. What is it feel like if you can describe to like find that out like to hear that about your about your loved one about your dad like what is that what was that feeling like for you um I'd say the first feeling was just the shock of it just like again how like this person my dad like really he's really never even had a health issue that was anything major you know like there was never anything I remember him like being in the hospital for or having ongoing treatment for. He just was kind of getting by doing his thing. You know, he used to run a lot. He would always we always take walks together, always like trying to do something to stay active, um, you know, eating pretty healthy in general day to day and stuff like that. So it's like it's just one of those things you feel so out of control because you're like, it's not his fault. It's not anything he did or of didn't course. do. And mm -hmm. it just happened. And now we have to figure out how to move forward with it. Um, but I think sort of ongoing since then, what's been the struggle with it is that there's no cure. It just is, you know, mm -hmm. and each day is a little bit different. There are days when he'll send me a message that's like something about the weather and it's like, oh, I totally get what's going on. Like it's cold in Pittsburgh. So, you know, something's going on. And then there are other days when it's just like nothing for, for days or even weeks sometimes. And then it'll be like six messages in a row that are just a bunch of words I don't understand. Um, mm -hmm. And so coping with that kind of thing, especially when you, you don't live in the same town to be able to maybe just pop by and say like, how are you for five minutes? Yeah. Um, is really hard. It's really hard to figure out. And I think, you know, he, he, at this point, I don't think he knows exactly how to use his phone. And I think part of it might be that the phone is hard to use. He doesn't have an iPhone. He has a, a droid of some kind, but anyway, yeah, just the ongoing day to day of like figuring out like what to worry about, what to not worry about. You just kind of have to like deal with it at the end of the day, because it, it changes so much and you can't predict the next day. So when there's a moment where he's being really clear or like I send him a picture or a song or something and he's like, oh yeah. And like, I assume on my end, he knows what I'm talking about in those moments. Cause I like want so badly to be able to grasp onto that to make up for all the other ones where I'm like, oh, he's definitely not, we're not really connecting here. So it's just a lot yeah. of not knowing. And I think the uncertainty in the backdrop of COVID's uncertainty and like everything mm -hmm. else, you know, I think what gets to me sometimes is like, I have a moment where I'm like, oh my God, like people struggling with dementia and Alzheimer's in the pandemic. And, you know, especially like living in a, a care, you know, a place where they're getting care. 
um, they may have gotten it for one thing, of course, unfortunately, and they may have had friends, family members who did. And then also just even, even being able to understand what it even is and the safety measures and how to not, and it's just a lot. To get right. To of course. So I try to think about it in that way that there's like lots of differing degrees of like what people are going through and that we're lucky enough that he's at mm -hmm. home and my mom's able to mostly take care of him and, um, and she's doing an amazing job at it. And I try to ground in that. So do you find that as a family, you're having more discussions? Uh, you know, you mentioned a sister. So between your sister and your mom, and do you talk more about um, the, some of the things you're concerned about? Because I hear you so far away. It must be very hard to, to not be able to see day to day, as you say. Are you having more conversations about it with your family? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. There's a support group that I started going to here first off. And then I went during the pandemic, some of the times to their support groups since it was on zoom, um, which was mm -hmm. kind of nice in a way to be able to be there with them through the computer. That's great. Um, but, and that's been helpful for sure. In fact, um, the one that I go to now, I, I, I started going to one here again. That's just at an easier time for me than the Pittsburgh one but it's so helpful. Um, so not only that, but yeah, I think my sister and I have worked through that guilt that we have where we can't understand him and we want to help, but we don't know how, we don't know what he means with things. And, you know, there was this period of time where he kept bringing up these documents to both of us. And we're like, well, we don't know which documents he means. And he has a lot of documents because yep. he was a CPA for so many years. And, you know, it's like, we didn't know how to help. And eventually that got solved, but it was like a year of like stuff about the documents. And yeah, that's very common. I have, I have people in my life I know who have parents with dementia who have similar experiences with becoming like, and it's just, it's hard to know because all of a sudden, I feel like it's very difficult at any point in life when you no longer feel like you share a reality with someone who you like love, you know, who's dear to you, whether it be like in like a divorce situation or in the situation like with Alzheimer's or dementia, where like your shared reality, which we depend on for healthy relationships becomes like not shared, you know, like someone doesn't feel the same way anymore or someone doesn't you know, experience just actual life happening the way that, you know, most people do. And that's extremely painful because like to not be able to just get baseline on the same page about a shared reality is just like, it's a real devastation, you know, it makes everything feel so shaky, unstable, and it kind of just comes out of nowhere. And then like, you know, I think so much of like our lives and our capacity to like live, you know, with all of the terrible shit that happens in the world is like, you know, it's like a seesaw. And like when things like this, you know what I mean? Like, and part of the stabilization of that other side of the seesaw is just like dependability on like the people in our lives who we count on and who we love, like just being there. And I think sometimes when we lose people, when they pass away, when they get sick, it's like that seesaw just starts to like, you know what I mean? Go too far in the it's other direction. A good, it's and you're a good like metaphor. Flung up in the air. Yeah, it's a good metaphor. You're talking about also the predictability. You know, because when you're on the seesaw, you're expecting the other person's going to be there and they're going to do their their part. And when yeah. they stop doing it, it's just such an uncertain feeling. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really rough. I I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I, there's so many things I think dementia, just from having some people in my life who I'm very close to who are going through similar issues. I know a bit about it and I just know that it's a very complicated and people can experience this in other ways with, you know, caring for loved ones who, you know, have other illnesses and stuff, but there's so much like complicated feelings that go on with this because I, as I know from people who have told me their experience, like there's a lot of anger, there's like disappointment, there's like embarrassment, you know, it's like a very complex disease to have in your you know, with someone that you love and, and oftentimes it's a parent, right? So do you feel some of those feelings, Beth, regarding like, you know, the complicated emotions that are associated with this? What's that like for you? Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up because that is definitely a big part of it. And that is a big part of why having not only my family, my extended family as support with this has been amazing. And the support group that I mentioned has been amazing too because it is a lot to work through. Like, it's not just, you know, oh, this happened and it's sad. It's like, you know, when I was home for Thanksgiving and my dad and I watched a concert on TV, we watched um, the band Chicago has like uh, a lot of, we have a lot of memories with that band. We always saw them when I was growing up and it was just a lot of fun. And so, you know, there's this channel that my parents have that is all like recorded live concerts. And so music is really, really beneficial for people with dementia, especially, and anyone of course too. So yeah, we had this joyful moment. I got up and mom danced. I said to my dad, whenever we were at these concerts, I saw the best mom dances I've ever seen. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I don't know if he knew what I meant, but he was laughing. So of course. Um, and yeah, we were just having this jolly time. And then at the same time, we were both crying. Like We were crying of joy. We were crying of nostalgia, whatever it might have been. And I think for me, it's like when those moments happen, whether it's just a text that seemed to have gone well or a call that seemed to have gone better than a lot of them do these moments, it's like, you want to hold on to them so badly because you don't know when you'll get one again. And so you're like, you're struggling because you want so badly to just enjoy it and be grateful. And then you're also like, but this other side is tugging at me too. Um, And I think that's like a huge, huge struggle, Mm. a huge struggle with it. And at the same time, like the anger thing that you mentioned it, I'm not there in the day to day, so I don't experience the anger as much. Um, But, you know, people say it's like, you know, the person isn't doing things intentionally or like forgetting things intentionally or making tasks harder for you intentionally. But in the day to day, when that's, you know, you're the primary caregiver for them, it's frustrating and you have to be able to balance like honoring your frustration and anger, which is totally valid, but also figuring out a way to either like dial it back a little bit or just like make separate time, like some way so that it's not so directed at them because it's not their fault. But, you know, Mm -hmm. my sister reminds me sometimes she's really good at this. It's like, if, if there's something I'm frustrated at with like what he said, or I'm like, I'm just really trying to tell him this thing and I don't think he's getting it and I'm not sure she's like, or like, maybe he misunderstood something I said, and I feel bad. She's like, 
well, he'll forget. So it's like, there's both right. things going on where it's like, I don't want to say it's a good thing yeah. that they have it, but it's like, you also don't have to harp on yourself so much if you may have lost your temper for a second, because, you know, that may not have affected them that much. So that's a good point because you wonder whether they take it personally, whether they can tell, you know, that you're frustrated. They can tell that you're um, disappointed sometimes. They can tell that you're upset and worried. You just wonder if they can tell. So you feel like maybe they, they don't, they can't tell because they don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I was just going to share that there was a moment where my mom got really frustrated with something my dad was doing when I was home. I think it was because he has this one shirt from um, Penn State where we both went to school. And it's like a shirt from the 70s that he will never give up. And I always have commented, like, that is the best Penn State shirt that exists out of all the thousands (laughs) of Penn State clothes he has. And so he kept wearing it when I was home. And my mom was getting really frustrated with him because she's like, stop, you know, you're wearing the same shirt that you wore yesterday. Wear something else. Wear something clean. And I I tried to defend him because I'm like, I think part of him might be wearing that because I'm home. And he knows I really like the shirt. So I'm like... I know it's hard for me to tell you to pick and choose your battles because I'm not here in the day to day, but it's mm-hmm. like, I think there might be yeah. more to it that he's just not saying. I don't think he's forgetting that he wore that. I also don't think it really matters because let's be honest, like we were hanging around mm-hmm. out at the house, you know, he wasn't like rolling around in right. mud wearing it. So, so don't, like don't sweat the small yeah, stuff. Things like that are hard. And I also hear how you also look for that inner essence of him that you, you know, in constant search for the, for the dad that you always know and who's still in there somehow. Yeah. That's the hard thing I think about like this particular disease and condition is just that it is like a constant, like letting go. And it's like, and there's no, you know, comparison of being like, well, I would have rather lost my parent this way, or I would have, you know what I mean? Like it's hard. It's hard in every way for different reasons. This is particularly hard. And also, uh, you know, just the anger that we have. And I experienced this even with my dad who died of cancer, but it was over like a long period of time. Like the feelings of like frustration and like losing patience. And then you like get mad. And then it's like this whole another level of like feeling mad at yourself. Like, Oh, I was like mad at my, I'm mad at myself because I was mad at my parent who's sick and they're sick mm-hmm. and it's not their fault. And it's like this whole shame spiral. And it's like, as though there's like other people out there who do this well, you know what I mean? As though there's like all these other people out there who have parents and, and husbands and wives who have dementia and they're like whistling when they wake up in the morning and they're fine and they have endless patience. This is literally one of the worst things that can happen, I think. And I don't mean to be like doom and gloom, but it is terrible. And it's like, doesn't and I think it's also just about how do we deal with a terrible thing you know what I mean like how do we find a way to like live and exist and still find meaningful relationship with someone that you're like you know losing bit by bit but it's terrible and I think like one thing that I know from my dear friend who has whose dad has dementia that like I hear him say all the time is like beating him up and again just to reiterate what I just said like I'm like find me the people who do this perfectly doing it perfectly is just like doing it you know what I mean it's like waking up and like being able to show up there's like no one who's nailing it because it doesn't exist you know speaking about the humanness of uh, the human condition 
and that we this is part of our human condition that we break down in different ways or people we love break down in different ways and uh, the need for compassion and self-forgiveness and forgiveness and compassion for the for the person who's sick it's just such a powerful thing what do you think about yeah. that beth oh for sure and one thing i try to keep in mind and you know i i think it was helpful having me around even just for the week or so i was home recently because um I'm able to sort of see the middle ground, even though I obviously feel heartbroken about it. It's like, I'll try to remind my mom, like, you know, you have, you have to realize like there probably is at least some part of him, some of the time even that realizes something's really wrong, whether he wants to accept it as dementia or not. It's like, he feels as though he's being treated like a child because there is a lot that you have to do for him at this point. And that's hurtful, I'm sure. Somewhere deep down on some of the days, we don't know which ones, that has to hurt. And there was something that he said to me when we took a walk that was so, so very heartbreaking to me, which was, um, you know, COVID adds so many layers of complications to everything because he doesn't get that many opportunities to be social, obviously. Um, and so I know he misses like the day-to-day -day of seeing people at his office and stuff like that. So we took a walk in the neighborhood and he has like certain people. He doesn't really know them well. He knows them from his walks. And so there was like somebody he was trying to introduce me to or show me or whatever. I think it was like somebody he used to see more when it was warm outside who would be outside in his backyard. Um, and he couldn't like tell me the guy's name or really much about him. He was just like, we'll go walk by there. Maybe you'll see him. Maybe you won't. But he thinks I'm stupid anyway. A lot of people do. Oh. And uh, wow, I mean, oh. that was so hard to hear. That's rough. That was so hard to hear. Mm. That's so hard. And that's why, you know, I think like when we talk about kind of the intersection of food and grief, it's interesting because like, as we continue to have these like changing relationships with people, especially with things like, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia and just really like physical changes uh, or even after someone passes away and like your, your the way we change, it's like it, to have these kind of like markers of how we remembered people, like remembering, you know, I know you weren't talking about your dad, but the story of your family with brown mustard <laughs> and thinking about your family sitting around and enjoying barbecue for Shabbat dinner. And, you know, like, these are just these important little things that like are shared realities, right? Like yes. they will always be like, right. and there's other things other than food, of course, but like, those are such strong memories, you know, they're sensory, you're like back in that time. And like, I think that sometimes like at the end of the day, like that's all, that's all there is. You know what I mean? Like, God, like life is just so cruel. Like the story you just told us, it's so sad. You know, like that is so sad and it is so like unfair that you would have to like see your dad be in that situation that he'd have to feel like he's in that situation. Like the entire whole thing is just like very cruel and like unfair. And I don't know, I hope that for you and your family and I know for myself in certain ways, just being able to like attach to like wherever like that little pin, you know, like went in where like something was good where like you know, he, your dad wasn't that person where he was like impressive and strong and cool and making a joke or like at a concert, at a Chicago yeah. concert, you know what I mean? Like whatever it, it may be, but 
I, I call it time traveling a lot. You know, we, we time travel because we, we want to hold on to everything, the way it was, the way it is, the future. And so I can see, you know, you wanting to hold so much on to those little moments of, of knowing your dad in the ways that you've always known him. Yeah. Really you saying what you're saying about foods are is so true. It's the groundedness. It's where we ground ourselves when everything else around us is changing and we can't control it and it's out of our control. Boy, do I want to go get some brown mustard now. It's a, <laughs> have a sandwich. Mm. I know. Brown mustard is so good. People don't really talk about brown mustard enough, honestly. Um, Beth, you were saying that your dad had kind of always said that he had like five foods that he really liked right like only a couple things that he like really enjoyed what can you tell us what those things are um wow yeah (laughs) um the brown mustard is a big part of it it goes on everything that's being named here (laughs) dogs is number one um deli food like corned beef and pastrami is a close second behind that um and then brown mustard goes on like any sandwich, whether it's turkey or hamburger. I just have to keep totally. mentioning it or my family will be very upset. <laughs> I don't work for anyone, I promise. But <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. We find out you are like working for Grape Poupon or like Schaller and Weber. Yeah, it's just like these very certain things. And again, back to the rituals, even growing up, it was like we went to probably the same five restaurants. Um, I'd be remiss to not mention like a very important staple in our childhood, which was the original hot dog shop, which was, and still is, it's unfortunately Ooh. closed. It closed during COVID, um, which is very sad. Uh, it still is the best hot dog I've ever had. And I lived in New York for 10 years and I'll try any hot dog that comes my way to see if it measures up and it just <laughs> does not. Um, I've written oh. about the original. I wrote something for my friend's blog about it. It's like that place where, when my uncles would come in from LA, they like get in a cab or we pick them up and we go straight there no matter what time of day it was. Um, That's awesome. Really good stuff. And like a not, a not fancy place to say the least. That's, that's what I'll call it. Perfect. <laughs> um, so yeah, there were staples like that, that that's we just awesome. went to all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like an Italian restaurant we loved, um, a pizza place we all loved. And my dad, again, really liking barbecue things, a barbecue place we went to almost every Sunday, I think. Um, so there's just these certain memories where they do stick because when you do them so many times, in some ways I was like frustrated. I think when I started to become a teenager and I'm like, there's so many other things we could be doing or I want to be out with my friends or this or that, getting distracted when we're doing these family rituals. It's like, but now I get to remember them. Whereas if we were all over the place or only doing them some of the time, maybe I wouldn't have the same type of memory of them. And that's not to say every single memory was great. I mean, we were fighting a lot when we were eating barbecue and we were disagreeing and fighting about what we were eating and when we were going and everything around it. But ultimately it happened in some way or somehow. Um, so yeah, just sort of like those meal staples and then the the grocery staples I mentioned before. And like, you could always find my dad if there was a hockey game or football game on eating popcorn, planters, dry roasted peanuts, and one beer. Like my dad would have beer in the trunk of our car <laughs> in the winter, like in the cold for like the whole time. Like it, it lasted, you know, it'd be like one at a time, very regimented, not like 
not to get drunk, just like because it pairs with football, I think. And in some ways, I think I have a similar mentality as him where I'm like, I'm not a huge drinker. But like, if I'm having like, a French meal, like, yes, I'm going to have a glass or two of wine, you know, like, I I think we yeah, yeah. things in a similar way sometimes. But um, yeah, for sure. Well, you know, that's interesting, right? That it sounds like your dad is a pretty regimented, pretty dependable guy, right? And his tastes and in his routines and stuff like that. And to then have, you know, the like him to be suffering of dementia, that's a pretty big change, because it makes someone very undependable in a way and very like on out of, you know what I mean? Like really opposite. That's a big shift. That's mm-hmm. a really big shift. That's you know, hard. one thing I'm noticing is that we didn't really mention the word grief in this session. And the truth is it's all about grief, but it's grief in a way where moment by moment, little bit by little bit. And I think one of the hardest things that we can do in life is to grieve for somebody that's still here. You know, that's, that's a really painful thing because we, we feel like when somebody's here, we could change it. There's somehow this, you know, we right. imagine we could change it. But, you know, as we know about dementia and Alzheimer's, we can't do that. Um, like so. a living, living grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. really, that's really, really tough. That's a really good point, Bobby, and we mm-hmm. really didn't bring that up that much. And yeah, it's, I mean, the letting go little by little while mm-hmm. someone is still with us. It's, it's and the acceptance of reality. Yeah. That's the other thing about grief. And I always say the definition is accepting re- the reality of the loss over and over. And so you're accepting it in every moment. There's this, you know, but I loved the poignancy of what you said about at the same moment as you're feeling the grief, you're also holding on to the tenderness and mm. holding on to the, the special qualities of the love that you have with your dad. Yeah, it's an acute, it's a really like, interesting thing to dial in like that. You know, when you're aware, so many times people say like, Oh, God, like, I wish, you know, before my loved one passed away, or whatever, like, I I have regret, or I wish I had said this or done this. And it's like, I think, you know, one of the things when someone passes away over kind of an extended period of time, is that you do have these moments where you like, dial in your focus of like um gratitude and it doesn't always work that way you know what I mean but or of like savoring like specific moments here and there and sometimes I mean on the opposite end it's very frustrating very painful to you know what I mean to lose someone over an extended period of time but in my own experience at least with my dad that was one thing that I I was like able in some moments to be more present be like oh I'm in this moment now this is not going to happen. This might be the last time he gets to do this. Like, like you were saying before, like savor it, you know what I mean? And that's so sad, but it's also, I don't know. It's just, it's complicated, right? It's life too. So I was so glad to hear that you're part of a support group. And um, for anybody listening, it's so important to remember that there are those support groups through the Alzheimer's foundation. And how do you find support groups? I think I originally found it through the Alzheimer's Association, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I found a really good um, website when I was researching today, and it's called justbedementiafriendly.com. Oh. And it was a nice website, it was really nice. So there's so many resources now that, you know, we, we've we been experiencing having these kinds of issues in families for, for forever, and now there's so many more resources and so much more support and so much more understanding and knowledge, so... Yeah, for sure. So Beth, at the end of every episode, we always ask folks the same question, which is if you could have given yourself some piece of advice that kind of 
the beginning of this journey and grief and, and loss, um, knowing what you know now, and obviously this is still, you know, a grieving experience that is ongoing uh, for you, but, you know, it has been a couple of years that you've had to kind of be in it. Um, what, what advice would you give to yourself knowing what you know now? Um, I think I would say be easier on yourself and lead with love. Because the fact that you're even trying at all is really what matters. And now, as I mentioned before, where sometimes I don't understand what he's saying if he sends a bunch of text messages in a row, I'll just say, okay, I love you so much. And it's like, I walk away from that and I'm like, that's the best I can do. And that might be the best answer. Yeah, that's really sweet. No matter what it is he's actually trying to say, that just might be the best answer he could get. And that's what you walk away with. So that's what I hear in that is so beautiful because if you walk away from that interaction, instead of worrying, you walk away with, I love you. So that's beautiful. Um, and also we like to ask folks if we we're going to get to all have a meal together right now and sit down to eat, what would we all bring? <laughs> Mom, do you want to start? Sometimes I know you like to start this. I feel like you have no, I don't have it. I don't have anything in mind. I just I I can't help but think of Jewish deli food, like all the kinds of My things that I love coming for out. sure. <laughs> yes, of course. Well, so what would you bring, Mom? What would your What would your Jewish delicatessen well, delight be? Well, I don't know if if what Beth is going to bring because I'm just I'd like if Beth would you mind starting because then I'll just add around that. <laughs> yeah, I'll start. Well, now as always with my family, I feel pressure to bring a deli platter. So <laughs> probably would. <laughs> Perfect. Brown okay. mustard, obviously, and, to and, accompany. And definitely pastrami on there, yeah. right? Yeah. And fresh, okay, really good um, fresh rye bread. Really, yes. really good rye bread. Absolutely. And sour pickles. Yeah. Wonderful sour yep. pickles. And um, hmm. some yeah. Thousand Island dressing on the side. Sure. I like that with my turkey. Just choose the right ones at the right times. It's it's so funny that you like condiments. Yes, we're condiment people. We're condiment family ourselves. And I actually have somebody I know in my life who doesn't like any condiments. And I have a hard time being friends with her. I really do because I don't get it. Condiments are the best part. It's not right. (laughs) Uh, The (laughs) anti-condiment faction. I don't know about you guys. Um. Amazing. Well, I'm going to bring a starter and kind of maybe like a little bit of a dessert. So I'm going to bring some mothball soup, obviously delicious, and some black and white cookies and some blintzes, maybe even too. Oh, for oh my goodness. Dessert. Well, and rugula. Oh my goodness. Sorry. You're going to bring all that. It's great. Well, what the hell? I mean, exactly. how often do we get to have <laughs> lunch with Beth? <laughs> we go all out. Well, I was going to bring stewed, stewed fruit. Because I stewed love, fruit. I love, love stewed fruit. Hot All right, fine. Hot fruit, you know. Okay, my, fine. My we mom, can bring hot fruit. Exactly. Oh, for the for the blintzes. My sure. mom made that. She would put plums in it and peaches in it in the summer and blueberries oh, yeah. and everything. And it was all oh such a flavor. Maybe a little bit of lemon. Not you don't even really need sugar, but maybe so delicious. So mm. okay. okay, stewed fruit. There we are. <laughs> Um, Beth, and do you want to just tell people where we can uh, find some of your writing or anything else that you would like to mention before we before we end the show? Sure, I'd love that. My website is my name, BethKaiserman.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at B-A-K-251. Nice. Awesome, Beth. Well, thank you so much for this. This was really amazing. And I know it's just 
you know, it's hard stuff to talk about. But one of the things that I also kind of have picked up from some people in my life who have parents dealing with dementia, uh, as with many different kind of grieving experiences, that it feels so alienating, you know, and it feels like no one else can possibly understand what this feels like. And yes, everyone's situation, even in within this situation, is so unique and different. But I think it's really helpful to remind people who feel so off on an island that they are still connected in some way. And it doesn't take away the pain, but it makes you feel like less strange to the rest of the world. Because I think sometimes in what we're talking about of losing a shared reality, you also like lose touch with the fact that like you're sharing a reality even with the rest of the world, you know? Um, so I think it's nice to be able to give people a little bit of a tether and it's very generous of you yes. to do that because I know it's hard to talk about. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for, for reaching out to the audience and being so honest and open. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That's great. All right, Beth, we will talk to you soon. Sounds great. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio, supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.